Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Tonight, we're holding a pop-up panel discussion about blockchain, cryptocurrency, what the hell they are, and how they may shake things up in California. Blockchain has some big-name supporters in California. Gavin Newsom called it out as a job-creating technology in his State of the State speech. And State Treasurer Fiona Ma has stated her interest in it as a way to improve real estate transactions, tax collection, and as a banking method for cannabis companies. And on the business side, Facebook, Visa, National Geographic, and even the Sacramento Kings are exploring blockchain or actively testing out ways to use it. But what exactly is this blockchain thing? What's the point of Bitcoin? Do you need to start learning how to buy cryptocurrency? Or is this just a big fad that will be old news next year? Join us as we talk with a couple of blockchain experts for an easy to follow discussion about this tech trend that California is playing a big role in shaping. Hi, everyone. Welcome to California Groundbreakers. And my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm the executive director. And tonight we're having a pop-up panel. And the discussion tonight is about cryptocurrency, blockchain, what the heck are they, how California is rolling them out, and why we should care. This personally piqued my interest because uh, I saw a few articles all within a span of a few days about cryptocurrency and blockchain. Uh, like for example, the South by Southwest Festival had its first ever blockchain and cryptocurrency track this year. And when I was looking to see what they were covering, I saw they were all pretty much packed, sold out. I thought that was interesting. Then I read Facebook is reportedly developing a cryptocurrency to use for global payments on their WhatsApp um, app. And they started hiring people to do that. Then here in California, Gavin Newsom, in his first state of the state speech last month, talked about how California needs to create technological advancements and jobs in things like blockchains. And then I found out later, he was one of the first high profile politicians to accept Bitcoin as campaign donations back in 2014. Uh, then there was, I think, uh, shortly after that, a story in the SACB about how uh, our uh, local assemblyman, Kevin McCarty, and San Francisco assemblyman, Phil Ting, uh, have introduced a bill that would require the state to start accepting stable coins, which is a digital currency tied to the U.S. dollar, from cannabis businesses starting ideally next year, so that instead of uh, coming in to pay their taxes with briefcases full of cash, they can use this cryptocurrency. So I think there's a couple of other bills that we've either had passed when Jerry Brown was governor or are uh, evaluating now. Um, so I thought that kind of sums it up there. There is something moving along with blockchain. It's not just Bitcoin. And I thought this might be things that uh, we're going to be uh, learning about or being involved with. Oh, and I should mention another story I saw. The Sacramento Kings apparently was the first sports team in the world to accept Bitcoin at its games, and it's looking how blockchain, the technology it's built on, can improve the fan experience at Golden One Center. So I just figured, okay, maybe this is 
Maybe this is more than a fad, and maybe it goes beyond just Bitcoin. And maybe it's something that we need to know about a little more as uh, California residents, taxpayers, consumers. Um, so I just figured it might be time to start learning a little bit. So I've asked a couple of blockchain experts to come tonight to explain to us in plain English what these things are, how they work, why we should care, and how or if or when they could change our lives, or at least the way that we do transactions. So before I get started, a few special thanks to people who helped put this event together. Uh, we are holding this event here in downtown Sacramento at Roostaller Beer. So I want to give special thanks to the owner, J.E. Pano, and one of his right-hand people, Sierra Kelso, for putting this event together. Also, special thanks to Brian Barton, a co-founder and organizer of Sacramento Bitcoin Meetup, for helping promote the event. Uh, Caleb Clark of Kickstart Audio for recording the program and putting up uh, the podcast online. Thank you. Of course, to the panelists, we have one here and one is coming on his way s shortly. So thank you very much. And of course, to you, the audience, for taking time out of your busy schedule. So we're going to get started with my questions first and then questions from the audience. So in terms of introducing the panelists, I let them do that because they're better at it than I, most likely. So we're going to start with our first panelist who's here to, uh, right now and then move on to our next panelist as soon as, he is as soon as he arrives. So to the woman on my left, I'd like you to tell us your name, your current role and organization, and then always a personal note to see you know, how you tie into the theme on a, on a personal level because we're talking about blockchain, cryptocurrency. If you can tell us an interesting way you use blockchain, either for personal or professional use, that kind of gives us a sense of how it works. Hi, my name's Ali Medina. I am the director of the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition. That's an organization of mostly California-based blockchain businesses who want to promote better blockchain regulation and more informed policymaking, specifically here in California. We've been operating for about a year now, and it was kind of inspired by having five bills passed in quick succession in Wyoming. Um, a lot of people from San Francisco flew out to Wyoming, came back looking real silly in cowboy hats, and said, we should do the exact same thing here. Um, it's a little harder in California, and so we have a big path ahead of us um, for a better blockchain regulation. And how I personally use blockchain, um, well, for a bill I'm working on, I've actually set up, I think, five different blockchain wallets in the last few weeks to sort of test out um, what would be the best way for a business or a government entity to send or receive stable coins, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Um, and so I've tested out about five different ones to sort of see which kind of wallets I like best, which features I like best on them, and what I think is most appropriate for the government to use. All right. Thank you, Allie. Um, also, I, I wanted to mention, because I think this is very cool, you are also the current mayor of Emeryville and across the bay from San Francisco. So... Um, and I just, I think that's great. Is Emeryville uh, a hub for blockchain uh, development or something that might be rolling out on a citywide level? I was just curious. Emeryville actually has a massive biotech hub. We have a lot of biotech businesses in Emeryville. Um, I think only one or two virtual currency-based businesses, but I do believe um, with our, especially pharmaceutical or food-based um, businesses, I think they'll be adopting blockchain soon. All right, thank you. Okay, so first question, I guess, is the most obvious one. If you could explain what blockchain is and give us a couple of concrete examples, I guess, of how it works. Blockchain is just a distributed ledger network. So it simply works um, by 
kind of taking the requirement of having an intermediary out of most transactions. You don't have to trust a bank to transmit money for you. Um, you can have that verified by everyone involved in the network. And virtual currency, I think, is the type of blockchain people have heard most about. It's, it's not a blockchain. It is the first application of blockchain that's become widely adopted. I think the best metaphor that I hear a lot is, Virtual currency is like email was to the internet. It's not the only thing you do on the internet. I look at cat pictures on the internet all day, but it is the first thing that people figured out was a really good use of the internet was sending email. And so that's kind of like what virtual currency is in relation to blockchain. So when you when you had mentioned that you're you know, testing out different blockchain wallets, mm -hmm. um, maybe that could be an example of um, which one you like best and why, uh, how it would be used, you know, what would you recommend to me if I was using a blockchain wallet to give us a concrete example of how it works? Yeah. Um, honestly, my favorite one is actually designed by one of my board members. So maybe I'm a little biased, but frankly, I tested a bunch and I really like it. It's by Uphold. Um, and what I like about it is that I can specify that I'm receiving funds in US dollars. I don't have to switch virtual currency out into US dollars. I don't have to take that extra step. I can just say, hey, pay me at this address. And they send me Bitcoin, Ethereum, any sort of virtual currency. And it populates in uh, my account as US dollars. And then you can use that as currency in anywhere, any kind of transaction. Um, like I know we use PayPal and Venmo. Is it something similar to that where? That's a really good metaphor. Yeah, that's actually okay. how I explain it to a lot of legislators. The wallets are sort of like, yeah, PayPal or Venmo. They're just the, the third party that you're using in order to facilitate these transactions. Okay, good. So then now with the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition, uh, that is the organization that you're leading up. And I know I found you because when I was searching uh, in Sacramento what's going on in terms of uh, blockchain, there was an article about how the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition is coming to Sacramento to educate legislators about it. So I was wondering in the coalition, who is in this coalition? You know, what are they do these companies? What are they doing? Um, is it just cryptocurrency that they're working on? Are there other uses of blockchain that they're um, working on in their companies? Just give us a sense of who is in this coalition. Uh, well, we had about 20 businesses come up with us to um, educate policymakers last year. And I think uh, there's a really big range. We do have some virtual currency companies, Cred and Uphold. They handle much more of the virtual currency side of things. Um, we had Beef Chain come up, which puts beef, um, sorry, actual cows on blockchain supply chains. So I had them meet with Central Valley legislators. I thought that was a good fit for them. Um, we had Proppy, and they put um, land titles on blockchain. They're doing a pilot with the state of Vermont right now. So assessor recorders typically have pretty convoluted old databases for recording land titles. Sometimes you have to go in person to get these things. It's all automated on blockchain now, and it's more secure because there have been several high-profile cases of fraud in land titles in the United States. So we have Kevin here, who's our other panelist. And I just, Kevin, I just wanted to uh, briefly introduce you or actually have you introduce yourself. Obviously, your name, your current role in organization. And the question I asked Allie was kind of a personal question too about, you know, an interesting way you've used blockchain lately, either for personal or professional use, just to give us a sense of how it's used. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, my name is Kevin Weiler. And currently, I'm working for XYO. XY Oracle Network. We are a proof of location uh, blockchain. We also have an ERC-20 cryptocurrency XYO. And um, I'm cur currently the lead blockchain engineer. And what that means is I'm doing uh, smart contracts. I'm building a lot of uh, smart contracts in the Solidity programming language to uh, do things 
kind of interesting, uh, something I published last week. Uh, we're doing a lot of interesting stuff, but one thing I did last week, which was kind of fun, was a multi-sender. So we have a lot of people that um, are getting airdropped tokens from us, and instead of doing individual transactions, I was able to, uh, you know, copy some cool ideas from other people that use Merkle trees. And I don't know if you've heard of what Merkle trees are, but, and this is how technical I get. I get into the, like, the real nitty gritty, like, stuff. So maybe maybe we should go up a level from that. But we have to find these interesting solutions using new technologies and crypto cryptography to accomplish something that would be very easily done in a centralized uh you know, paradigm. But now we're in this decentralized paradigm, so we have to do things like using Merkle trees to store giant lists of uh, airdrop addresses. And what that means is that you can create an off-chain list, uh, meaning it's not stored on the blockchain, and you create this huge list of people and the amounts that are owed to them, and then you simply submit uh, when somebody wants to claim their tokens that are allotted to them, they, they submit a Merkle proof instead of actually having that data on the chain. So there's zero knowledge involved in the, um, the actual address or the, uh, the amount that's owed to that person. It's simply the root of the Merkle tree. It's one 256-bit address that stores the data of potentially billions of people. So we come up with these novel solutions that use very little data to enable um, sort of decentralized interaction. And we can get more into what why decentralized is cool and why all that and that's a long introduction i'm sorry <laughs> no it, it gives it it sense of like it's it's kind of there's a lot going on behind the the scenes when it comes to blockchain but uh, i think our audience is probably general general audience general knowledge but maybe a few people who know but when i was looking at xyo i think i saw the term gps and how what you're doing is kind of something similar or maybe could be a rival so i was asking uh, ali um for an example of a concrete example of how blockchain works for those of us like me who don't know we've heard bitcoin and we get the sense of cryptocurrency but blockchain itself is still like whoa so for what xyo does uh i'm not sure if your clientele is the general public maybe it's more specialized businesses but can you give us a concrete example you know from what you're working on especially with this gps thing how how it would be used and how we can visualize how it would be used Sure. Uh, so, yeah, we're trying to solve the problem of proof of location. So proof of location is simply trying to verify with certainty that something was where it said it was. So currently with GPS, you, can, um, you can't really do that because GPS, you can download an app today right now that could spoof your GPS location. It could say, I'm... Um, you know, in China right now. Your, your phone would think it's in China, and you could do that kind of a thing. But with what we're doing at XYO, we're using a decentralized network of location-proving devices and software and applications, applications, and it's made for the general public. So the cool thing about decentralized technologies is that anybody... Oh, thank you so much. My angel. Uh, out of the sky. Um, so... Yeah, you can use it to, decentralized technology is cool because anybody can hop on board at any level. And that's what we've tried to make at XYO. So at the bottom level, you have these devices called Sentinels, 
and those are just hardware things. They're physical devices. They could be your phone, so you could make your phone a Sentinel. And those things interact with each other, and anybody can hop on board and say, I'm a Sentinel today, and then start sharing your GPS coordinates, but also be in this network of location proving things. So the way that it works is that you'd have, like if you said, it's the same way our brains work. It's all about, we have this self map and everything that we know and everything we are is basically what we've mapped onto this self map. Every, all of our experiences, all of those things. So the same thing goes with these devices is they have a map of everything that they've come into, come into contact with. So when you have one and I have one, then we, we both share each other's private signatures to make sure that your device is who it says it is and my device is who it says it is. And now we've both proven that we've seen each other because I've added you to my list and you've added me to your list. And so here we are, we've proven that, but you could say, well, you could just lie about that information. And that's absolutely correct. So what the decentralized thing does is that now it's not just you and me in a room, it's maybe all of us in a room, or at least like a handful of us. And if a handful of us are validating each other's uh, signatures and are validating that I saw you and you saw me, and then you saw me as well, then now we have like this third party that can va verify the truth. And that's the whole concept of decentralization, is you're using third parties to the nth degree to come to truth. And that's very fascinating that we can now do that with technology that sort of you can hop on board from any level. And um, yeah, so we're doing that with location and other things, uh, use cases I could go into as well if you want to talk about. I didn't address that part. Well, no, that, that's, uh, I, I, that makes sense. I actually, I get it. Um, and I think for this, for this discussion, because we're in Sacramento, um, and so much is coming out of uh, the Capitol, which is a few blocks down the street. I was saying how this really sparked my interest when I was seeing Gavin Newsom, our treasurer, Fiona Ma, uh, uh, legislators uh, discussing blockchain uh, as something that we would be using on a statewide level, on a legislative level. So um, Again, when I was researching, I saw how there was a Q&A that I think, Ali, you were uh, involved with or led, where Fiona Ma, our state treasurer, was there, and talking about how she's interested in learning about how blockchain can help uh, the state with maybe property titles, uh, tax collection, banking in the cannabis industry. Uh, I think I saw, I'm not sure this is a government agency, but they're using or testing at least blockchain uh, to monitor groundwater. So they're using it for environmental use. Uh, I guess sensors that are testing groundwater in the San Joaquin Valley. So that's actually happening. So I thought, wow, there's a lot going on. So I wanted to, I'm going to open this up to both of you in terms of where can this be used from a, from a government perspective, uh, state agencies um, that are looking at this or ways that you're recommending or thinking that they would uh, be able to use it uh, I guess for better, for worse, for us, uh, for when they're you know managing all these things on a on a legislative or uh, regulated regulatory level. So I just wanted to ask for for both of you, you know, where do you see uh, the state of California using this uh, based on what's coming up so far? Financial, property, cannabis, environmental. Who would like to start with suggested uses? Allie? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, 
One of the bills we worked on last year was AB 2658, written by Assemblymember Calderon. And this bill established the state's blockchain working group, which is in the process still of being created. And the group has a couple of goals, and one's to examine kind of regulatory structures and what the California government should do in terms of regulating blockchain. The other half of that, though, is looking at how the state government should be using blockchain. And we have a lot of suggestions for that. Um, so obviously, one big one is AB 953, the bill we've sponsored this year, which will allow cannabis companies to remit their taxes via stablecoin. Um, that's meant to be a solution to the current, current issue of cannabis companies not being able to open bank accounts because most bank accounts are federally insured. Um, so that's a massive problem. 70% of cannabis companies are unbanked. And the way they pay their taxes or move money is with armored cars, um, which is very expensive and a public safety hazard, frankly. Cities have to pay to take that cannabis money and bank it themselves. They have to hire an armored car to go from City Hall to a bank. So this bill would allow the treasurer to set up a list of standards. And this is frankly Fiona Mont's fault because she asked me at that panel, can you do this for cannabis? And I was like, oh, gee, yes, I can. Um, uh, create a list of standards for what kind of coins and wallets would be acceptable. Obviously, not all stable coins are US dollar backed, just to throw it out there. In the bill, though, I'm requiring US dollar backed ones because I think that's the only thing that makes sense for the government to be using. Um, there's some pretty complex methods of collateralization. And so that's one big one. Um, I also think there's a lot of talk about, could we put the DMV on blockchain since they don't seem to be great at record keeping? They lost 26,000 voter registrations last year when they tried to implement the motor voter bill. Um, the Department of General Services has a massive auditing problem. Could we maybe put use blockchain supply chain solutions in the Department of General Services? So there's a few different aspects of the government. Kevin, what do you think? How can we use it better on a government level? Yeah, on a government level, I think the Internet of Things economy is just right now starting. And uh, you mentioned things for you know water or for electricity, all these smart meters that are starting to uh, come alive, right? And when we have a network that we can trust, you know, where it's not just individual um, you know, like PG&E that holds the silo of data for our energy and we have that in a decentralized web where anybody can build one of these devices and plug into the registry for energy consumption um, then I think those Internet of Things devices are going to help automate a lot of the processes um, and also build a, a better more trusted infrastructure that you know is immutable and um, will help us with you know keeping records around um, one thing that we're working on at XYO is putting um, real estate on the blockchain, and that can affect you know every level uh, um, in the government. And we're uh, we're starting in Mexico, and we're trying we're working with Remax Mexico to create an MLS there. And the problem with uh, the there is no MLS there. And remind us what MLS stands for. Is that like a market listing? Mark, something listing sir. Multiple, multiple listing, listing service. service thank you and it's so convoluted the mls right if if you're um, in real estate you really, I'm, i used to work for real estate software so if you want more information i can load you up so yeah we we could talk after this probably uh, a lot so there's but there in mexico they have those problems but they also have the problem of safety and people just coming in and stealing listings and saying, "Oh, I'm a, you know, I'm an agent." It's the wild west of uh, real estate in Mexico. So, keeping that under control and putting things on a open, transparent registry is a good start for them, and they're totally interested in that right now. And um, 
yeah. So, uh, but supply chain is probably the most obvious for our use cases as well. Ali, did you want to add? To yeah, that? I did. I want to build on what you said about electricity because I think you're absolutely right, and a lot of people have mentioned. Why can't we do microgrids, um, which would be an awesome use for blockchain for the state of California, where we have a lot of solar panels um, and we have, you know, really close impending carbon goals that we're trying to hit. Um, unfortunately, PG&E owns the right of way in the state of California. So now that they're for the entire state. Yeah. So I cannot, in my city of Emeryville, set up a microgrid where from warehouse to warehouse, I could put up solar panels and have some sort of microgrid system on a blockchain that kind of regulates and monitors how much has gone back and forth and then charges people to share energy. Because we have tons of flat warehouse space, it should make sense for them to be able to sell some of that energy to their neighbors. That is not legal in the state of California. So the regulatory aspect is going to be massive for blockchain adoption because that is such an obvious thing that when I first learned about blockchain technology, the Rocky Mountain Institute is doing tests of this in South America. And I'm like, I want to do it, but PG&E. So it, these are part of the things that we have to look at. It's now would be a great time to advocate for that, actually, because PG&E declared bankruptcy. And so they're kind of a weak political position. Um, happy to get involved in that project. I really want microgrids personally. All right, so there's a lot of a lot of uh, interesting uses. Um, all right, so I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'm going to encourage the audience here to to go to the mic there and, and ask questions too. So while you're lining up, the question I have is uh, about cryptocurrency specifically, because obviously Bitcoin, I guess, is the term that uh, people have heard uh, most. And lately, I guess it's a uh, uh, negative things, or at least, you know, seesawing, you know, the price is up and down. Um, I think it's interesting how I've been reading about Venezuela, and obviously there's a lot of turmoil there, and uh, I was reading an article about how uh, people, just individuals in, in Venezuela, have come up with a cryptocurrency to use, but then the government uh, of Venezuela has invented, a, or not invented, or come up with a cryptocurrency, and I guess to track the, the uses, the usage by people there. So it seems like, you know, it could be good or bad. But anyway, cryptocurrency, I wanted to ask you both, um, where does it stand now? Um, is it the next, is it, does it have a long way to go for it to be trusted, to be adopted? Because it just seems like, you know, a lot of um, financial uh, uh, savvy people are like, yes, this is the next big thing. Uh, but it seems like an equal amount are saying, no, it's it's just let's not we're not going to touch it. We're not going to invest it. It's just too dangerous or too um, all over the place. So I just wanted your take on where does cryptocurrency stand and 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 where will it be for us? Will we be using it or uh, is it still too soon to be decided? Kevin? Yeah, sure. I think uh, right now the biggest enemy of cryptocurrency is adoption and uh, followed second, maybe maybe it's first, is regulation. And like you say, the PG&Es of the world that are gonna fight pretty hard to be completely usurped, right? They're not just gonna go away without a fight. And not to say that we're here to fight, but as soon as the cryptocurrencies of uh, today start providing real world value, and that's kind of the missing piece, right? We're, we're waiting for that, um, like I think that it's providing definite real world value in monetary transfer and settlement layers in the banking industry like we've seen how it's solved huge problems and i think the first industry to really kind of be affected in a major way is the international transfer market like western union or any of these sort of uh, transfer money because those are just dinosaurs compared to instant immediate settlement of value over any border and that right there is just gonna um you know 
create a tremendous amount of value for people, and it already is around the world, um, you know, tran transacting on, uh, on that very basic layer, and then you have all of the smart stuff that's coming on top of it. Okay, because, yeah, because I see that, like I mentioned before at the top of the um, uh, program that Facebook is developing it or rumored to develop their own cryptocurrency to use on WhatsApp. I think I read how JP Morgan Chase is or was coming up with how to use blockchain or cryptocurrency, but they may be pulling back. So it seems like there's some who are on board or some who are still to be decided. So it just seemed like it was an area that may still see some fallout, some shakeout. Allie, what do you see? Um, you know, when I speak with legislators and policymakers about it, and when I was trying to say, hey, use virtual currency for cannabis, the number one objection was, what about the volatility? Like, volatility is a big concern for normal people who aren't very tech savvy to adopt this. Um, the state of Ohio actually accepts Bitcoin and Ethereum um, for commercial proper, for commercial taxes right now. They have since November. I think only like two companies have taken advantage. One of them's Overstock, who will do anything Bitcoin related. So Ohio is the first state to do this? Ohio is the first state to accept um, crypto taxes. Yeah. Their treasurer decided unilaterally he was just going to go for it. I think it's because he's running for governor, if you asked me to speculate. <laughs> Got a lot of press. Um, and they set up a BitPay wallet, sort of just like having a PayPal link on a website to do it so they're but within 24 hours they're clearing that out into fiat currency um and you know for the state of california there was too much concern over like what if we don't clear it out in time what if the market changes and there's a lack of a fail safe and we're talking about the amount of money that we would be moving in california you need a fail safe and that's kind of a stumbling point which is why i think uh for more conservative actors like the government stable coins will be kind of the lead into virtual currency adoption um but also what's going to be really attractive once you start using it is you realize that the transaction fees are far lower than institutional um, banks and e um, etf electronic transfer funds or ach we're talking between a two to five percent fee normally with virtual currency even with like your most compliant full service businesses max 1.5 percent could go down much further than that Kevin? Yeah, I mean, in theory, it would just be the cost of actually storing the transaction on the blockchain. So it could be pennies for these, uh, you know, million dollar settlements. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I, I agree completely with. <laughs> All right, we have our first question at the mic. Name is Jeff. And my two questions is one, the encryption level, and how the assessed value would be stock market where it varies or an assigned value how do you determine the value of what you're offering who would like to start kevin you want to take that yeah i think it's uh, i think that the law of economics plays into cryptocurrencies you know very well with the supply and demand and so you have a fixed supply in these cryptocurrencies and as soon as uh, the value is created in the network, uh, we would expect to see more people come in and, and try to capture that value. And as soon as there's demand for that value, then you'd see the, the, the actual value be hit where that supply and the demand meet. What I'm saying to you is I stock market when you initially offer it, it's a dollar, shall we say, that you start with. And then it's going to go up or down trying to figure how you value that and how your encryption, how you make sure that value, where it's going to move, if that makes sense. I think, yeah, I think I'm starting to get your question. Um, how do you track 
the values of these cryptocurrencies because there's a lot of different exchanges out there and each one of those exchange you might have a different uh, supply and demand and so there might be a different value uh, on one exchange versus another exchange so this becomes a very big problem uh, so I think in general we're, we're starting to see aggregation of exchanges and we're starting to see things called oracles that are coming in that are analyzing all of these different exchanges and they're finding uh, that they can average them out and then have websites that basically show that average and then if you're a purchaser of a cryptocurrency you would see that average and you would go in and you would invest based on what you saw there on any exchange whether or not it was fulfilled or not depends on the market on any given exchange but the um, it's it's basically aggregating all of the market data and right now because all that data isn't being aggregated there's a lot of opportunities for arbitrage where you go from one exchange or you can get a better uh, exchange rate and then you move it to another exchange and you can make quite a bit of uh, money on the differences there thank you yes and I guess for uh, does every type of cryptocurrency have its own type of exchange like Bitcoin has its own exchange or exchanges stable coins I mean it would depend on the currency type used? Allie? I, I wouldn't really think, stable coins don't have as much of a market for an exchange because the whole point of them is to not change in value and exchanges are more for <laughs> things that could possibly change okay. in value. I can, you know, you can do that, but th I think the point is more for cryptocurrencies that are security tokens. And so we're sort of seeing a move from ICOs to SEOs, STOs now. Um, exchanges are, going to be regulated by the federal government um, in, I think, a more aggressive way coming soon. And that's something that we um, should watch out for from a federal policy perspective. Great. All right. And next question at the mic. Hi. Um, I think it's really cool that you guys are thinking about this, especially in terms of government. We need people thinking forward. So thank you. Um, one question I have in relation to cannabis is, it sounds very good in theory, but on the ground, a lot of the people involved deal exclusively with cash and they don't have armored cars. They are just real, like normal, <laughs> for lack of a better term, people. Um, and they don't have any entree into this. So how would that translate? Like the real on the ground people with just like thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash how would that translate to them being introduced to Bitcoin? I guess what I'm worried about is what everybody in the industry who was in it before is worried about, that it's just going to be an elitist endeavor, that only certain groups of classes of people on top of how it's being regulated now will be able to access that. I would really hope they don't all go to Bitcoin. That's kind of what's in the bill, is creating a list of standards for what coins and wallets should be used and will be accepted by the state. Um, if you're moving hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and you're not using an armored car, you're putting yourself and your community at risk right now. And that's not a choice people are making. It's because they have no op options offered to them. It's not a good public safety thing to be having $50,000 in a Prius, which I know is what some delivery services are stuck doing because we don't offer them better solutions right now. Um, so, you know, I think what has been elitist is the fact that access to banking, the 30% that do have access, typically are those cannabis businesses that have lawyers, that are the larger companies who are able to figure this out and create relationships with banks and make it worth banks while to turn the other cheek. Because that is, I've talked to banks about 
Eubanks that do accept cannabis, how do you do it? And they're like, oh, it's kind of a little bit of a cheeky proposition. We know what it is, but we have plausible deniability. But they don't offer it to everyone, and only a few people have access to that. Um, by allowing any company, if they so choose, to use virtual currency to remit their taxes, you don't have to have them go through a bank who can prove or deny them. You can set up standards for what kind of wallet they can set up, what is safe for them to set up, so they're not going to get screwed over by trying to like figure out what coin to use to do this. And the fees are significantly lower than using credit cards um, or, you know, if they are using armor cards, than doing that. So it is trying to provide greater access to something that is safer than having tons of cash moved around. The, will the bill provide for some kind of training or um, any kind of way to let people understand this? Because we're talking about, well, I mean, when we're talking about the biggest barrier is people being able to buy into it. Like, if you have no idea what it is, a lot of people have no idea how to convert their cash into these things. Right. So um, the bill right now, we're working on an amendment in conjunction with state agencies that will set out, here are the exact standards of what kind of wallet you can use, and those will include consumer protections that are targeted towards the business. And when I was drafting this bill, I met with a lot of my local um, Bay Area cannabis businesses, some who have bank accounts, some who don't, some organizations that represent a whole range. And um, frankly, what they told me is, we've been approached by crypto before. Like, I'm not the first person to think of this. but. They were scared of essentially losing money in the crypto market. And so by having the state create the standards of like, this is a safe coin and wallet for you to use, we will accept it from this coin so you don't have to just go out and figure this all out yourself. I think that kind of gives people the end of like, you can use these two wallets or these two coins. These are safe things for you to use. Okay, and also I really want to make a pilot program happen before it goes to state adoption. I'm working on it. <laughs> all right, next question in the mic. Um, yeah, first thing is um, if somebody's got hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay in taxes, obviously nobody can answer this question. Why can't the state show up and pick it up? Because it costs money. It costs your money, your taxpayer money to pay for the armored car to do it. So it's better to have the taxpayer individually pay for it. I want to give you $100,000. Okay, drive it over here and give it to me. <laughs> you don't have to answer Humboldt the question. Humboldt County actually has created a co-located services center now where you can get your permits, you can drop off your cannabis taxes all in one location because this was such a problem. Every county does kind of have its own discretion. Some counties are more receptive than others. Having a state standard of doing this makes it easier on the industry where you know how you can do it in every county, even if your particular county isn't super helpful in um, working with you as a cannabis business. Um, okay, so my question, my actual question is, uh, besides the tropes of money laundering and black market transactions, why do, black, why do blockchain transactions need to be regulated since it's potentially decentralized? Kevin. Uh, they don't. <laughs> I don't think uh, there's, I, I would prefer them not to be regulated. I think they should be something free to enter. I think we should have the right to own our own money and I think we should have the right to control it entirely without the burden of uh, regulation. I think there's jurisdictions that you live in that you need to pay taxes on your investments and your uh, your income obviously and those that keeps the world going around. We need to pay for the roads and the schools and whatnot so th these are good things to pay our taxes on but to have it controlled I, I would 
I would kind of shy away from like these are the kind of currencies you can use. I think you're saying more of like we want to help you get into some uh, currencies that you're not going to lose a ton of money on. You're, we we want to protect you because uh, you don't want to put all of your core business operations on Bitcoin right now that the volatility of 20% swings every month is just not going to be good for anybody. So uh, having a stable coin is a great solution. I'm I'm preferable to uh, the MakerDAO, the DAI. I think they have a really good solution right now, and they've probably innovated more than anyone in the stablecoin market for uh, providing a more uh, interesting collateralization method, which is they started with Ethereum, but now they have the ability to have different types of assets back your uh, back the DAI, and the DAI is pegged to the dollar. So it makes it super simple, and it's always within 1% or 2% of a dollar. And if you put your money in DAI, which you can easily transact, you know, do a token swap from Bitcoin to DAI and back, if somebody was only going to pay you in Bitcoin, then you can immediately convert that to DAI or some other stablecoin and not worry about the, the, value, the value of the currency affecting your business. Pally. I agree. We're not trying to regulate individual block, um, blockchain or cryptocurrency transactions. Um, I think Hawaii is. Anyone who has a wallet, there's a bill up to make anyone who holds a wallet register as a money transmitter. Uh, that is definitely overkill and not a great type of regulation. So yeah, some things need to be regulated, um, creating standards to help people pay their taxes. I'm not saying you have to have all of your business funds in stablecoin. I'm saying this is something that the state accepts and the state says this is a safe coin for you to use for tax remittance. I had a question actually about um, regulation and, and data privacy because California just recently passed its uh, Consumer Privacy Act and then Europe had a big one around the same time. And I think I saw a story about uh, that might affect how how blockchain is used. So in terms of data privacy and security on that along those lines, uh, how do those two uh, 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 meld or uh, conflict? But how do you see it, uh, David, uh, Kevin? I think we're seeing this mostly with the, like the Facebooks and the you know the internet generation that everyone's putting their data on uh, the internet, and it's just for everyone to take and monetize to their their heart's content. And so privacy is just uh, essential with data. You need to have data sovereignty. You need to own your own data. If it's generated by you and your body then it's as much as your thoughts and your minds belong to you, in my opinion. Um, so I think the, the issue of privacy and transactions gets a little fuzzy because depending on uh, what type of nefarious acts you might be using cryptocurrency for, like uh, you don't necessarily want people to be able to do anything without having to be held accountable for you know transactions that are taxable events and you know those kind of things. So. There are coins now that allow you to, and um, they allow you to do private transactions where your your address is completely hidden. Min, uh, Monero and Zcash are the two primary privacy coins right now, but Ethereum has uh, the capability as well to do complete private transactions on the blockchain, which should scare <laughs> regulators, and it should uh, be something that we we still want to have this nice balance of people owning their own data, but people not um, doing bad things. <laughs> and Ali, I was wondering, when you're meeting with legislators, does that come up as an issue uh, either on your end or when they ask about you know, data privacy and security, or is, is it 
is that something that there is being considered in terms of legislation or not? You know, I've introduced the concept of data sovereignty. Um, it's not really uh, there in terms of uh, the capital right now. People are, are not super cognizant of that being a blockchain related thing. Data privacy has not come up as a big concern as of now. I do think in terms of our new data privacy laws and perhaps needing to update that because of some of the implications with blockchain, right? Like what if you put someone's private information in a blockchain and then it's stuck in there and, <laughs> um, and it's just in there immutably. Um, I think that's something that uh, our working group's going to have to really think about. Like how does that law affect blockchain where it's not so easy to simply wipe a piece of information out of a database. All right. We have another question at the mic. Yeah. Hi, my name is Jody, And one, this is kicking the can down the road a little bit, but because we're talking about policy and creating new laws and something that's not been seen before, I think that it's really important to consider. And I'm sure that this is something that you both have come across. The problem that I see, and I'm sorry, I know you were supposed to ask a question first, but I feel like it needs a little bit in here. Um, the problem that I see is there's going to be so much disruption in existing businesses who have a large lobby to protect what is not necessarily zeros and ones. They like one half. They like the fact that they can easily manipulate past data into making it something that is their truth today, not the actual truth. When you move to a zero and one, when you move to a truth only type um, technology like blockchain really is, we now have a problem with, again, large lobby existing businesses who have been getting away with not necessarily having to check all the boxes all of the time. So Allie, this probably relates to your business more than anybody. How are you handling that as you're moving forward? Because it's got to be a bumpy road for you to navigate between pacifying these particular businesses into understanding it's going to happen anyway, and also helping the legislators push the good legislation forward. Um, that's a really good question. Um, frankly, one of the things I'm trying to do is start with smaller bills that fly under the radar. So last year, the two bills we uh, worked on didn't really have any big opposition because they weren't doing anything that infringed on anyone's market space, really. This year, we're going a little more aggressive um, with the cannabis taxes. But again, uh, banks can't come out and say, we don't want this because this is our market share because they're not supposed to be banking cannabis. So we're still kind of playing it cleverly. Um, we need to build up our political power and understanding of blockchain and the capital before we go for something that'll take on a really big lobby group. And you mentioned something excellent about real estate. That is prime for um, blockchain to take over and make a lot more efficient a lot of the real estate um, functions. However, Real estate lobby is a strong one. Right. No no more um, need for title. Yes. No more need for escrow. No more need for uh, recording. That that affects both government and private business. It's Mortgage a big disruption, deal. Mortgage payday lending. Yes. I want to take on payday lending. I, ha I am itching to take on payday lending. And here's the thing. The Democrats right now in both the Senate and the House are talking about how do we get rid of these payday lenders? How do we get rid of them? I'm in the corner like, I've got a solution. Um, <laughs> There is going to be financial instruments that can compete with payday lending in a serious way and undercut them, but we have to get more of an organized political force behind us because I'm frankly one of the few people working in Sacramento on this. There's more people working on this in D.C., but we do not have enough political power right now to take on one of those big organizations, frankly, and that's something i got to build up. 
Uh, what are industries uh, are do you see being more receptive? I think you mentioned ag, like beef chain. You're talking the ag <laughs> industry. So who who seems a little more receptive that you're talking with? Like, oh, this could work for us. Are there any industries? You know, I got a call from Quicken Loans, and they're like, hey, we're interested in blockchain. They invented the Rocket Mortgage, apparently, which is one of their best financial products, and they debuted it during a Super Bowl. I learned about a lot about Quicken Loans during a quick Wikipedia search while they were calling me. Um, so I think some businesses are looking at it. Western Union, I hate to say it, just put out a press release that they're going to consider use of blockchain. I want someone to beat them to the punch and undercut them because they're just going to try to box out any competitors that are using blockchain to do their job better. Um, so I think big companies are looking at it. Mercedes is using it. A lot of car companies are looking at IoT blockchain solutions. You probably know that better than I do right now. Yeah, Kevin, what do you see? So we come, uh, there's a lot of people looking for blockchain solutions right now. And um, in XYO's world, we come out with a partnership a week, basically, that is, um, you know, this week it was a big scooter company. I can't remember which the scooter company was, but there's other ones like jump maybe i bet it's four letters spin bird jump yeah it's something with that and maybe an ly at the end i don't know but uh you know mike but big big companies like microsoft has approached us we've announced a few things publicly and some that aren't public but like um yeah the remax one of the biggest one is national geographic for whatever uh you know reasons they're they just want to be on the forefront of innovation and they're also they have like interesting use cases like they want to make sure that the people that they're sending out to take pictures and to do these expeditions out in the world are safe and so when they get to their locations they want to verify that they were really there there's kidnapping is a problem or just their general safety in these dangerous places so you know blockchain is sort of hitting all of these um these levels and as as we build it and i i think i want to touch on what you said earlier, because it was such a good point. And I think one of the reasons why all of this movement has so much ground is because of that exact problem is that people are being dishonest and people have been able to be dishonest for too long with things that matter to all of us and things that we want the public to be, you know, able to hold our leaders and the people that are spending all of our money accountable to those types of things. All right, next question of the mic. Uh, hi, my name is Marcus. Um, when we're talking about cryptocurrencies, obviously the big fish in the room is Bitcoin. I was wondering if you guys would speculate a little bit about the recent volatility they've had in the last year, year and a half, and if you ever think they'll reach their high point again. Kevin. Uh, I'm a believer, yes. I think it'll hit its high again. Uh, whether it's going to be what the maximalists, the Bitcoin maximalists, those are the people that think that Bitcoin is going to be the only coin in the future, they think that Bitcoin is going to be up in the millions uh, once you have mass adoption. And that's possible, you know, with supply and demand, that's definitely possible, but I don't see that happening. I think there's going to be a large amount of tokens in the future. And I see uh, there's, I don't know, there's a theory, there's speculation around the halving of the token offering of Bitcoin. So every 18 months, I think it or four years or uh, so they half the amount that they pay in rewards for their miners. And every time that's happened, that spurred the next bull run. So, I mean, they've had consistent growth every time. And that's scheduled to happen, I think, next February. So, you know, maybe that will be the next bull run. If it's not because of that, it's going to be as uh, adoption grows, in my opinion. So I'm very bullish on the price of some of these speculations and things. Allie, are you equally as bullish or what do you think? 
I'm coin agnostic. It's <laughs> a very political answer. Um, so the second part of my question is, will my doggy coins ever reach a dollar? Not if you call them that. I call it Dogecoin only. they're Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Sorry, what man. What are these doggy Dogecoins? Right, doggy. Okay. It's better than CryptoKitties. Okay. It was made by a journalist as a joke, and then now it went up to a market cap of like $2 billion. Take from that what you will. Uh, uh, yes. Sounds like, uh, okay. Anarchy. Anarchy. All right. Next question to the mic. Ashley, last question to the mic. Uh, so I'm curious about, um, right now we have, going back to the data privacy um, topic, right now we have no privacy in our locational data. And so I'm wondering what your, um, what your company is doing to maybe um, help us take control of our own data privacy, uh, locational data privacy again. So the, the great thing about operating in a crypto network is that it's pretty much anonymous. Until you reveal your own data, that data is held anonymous. So um, that's, that's the good part. But the bad part is, is once you do reveal that data or that data does get out, then it becomes very easy to trace back your, uh, your transactions and those types of things. So what we're doing in um, XYO is we have these, these proof of origin chains. So you have the private key that is able to spawn this proof of origin chain and everything on that origin chain is like your sovereign data. And what we're developing are sort of the ability to share and to have that data as private as you want. And I think that starts with the tools that we enable to make the, them actually useful. If you don't build something that's going to be able to share that um, that address, then um, it's not going to be. There's just no, you know, there's no. Uh, it will be effectively private. And since these addresses are easily transferable and stuff, as soon as something does come out, all of that information that's associated with it could be transferred immediately to a new anonymous address. And um, you can do that through various various ways as well. But as far as the location data itself, we're uh, we're not just storing location. We're storing, um, and we're not even storing GPS at the moment. We're storing RSSI values, which are Bluetooth strength signals. And then we're using hubs to position the relative location of everything using these anchors. So as far as like your GPS and tracking that, that data is not even available yet. Um, but there's other heuristics that we're interested in, in addition to location, um, temperature being one of them, because a lot of these supply chain uh, use cases involve keeping things at a certain temperature, whether you're moving ice cream or you're moving body parts, you need, some people need to know for certain whether their ice cream got to them without thawing, right? So having uh, the ability to have some sensors in a truck and then like know for certain that the, the temperature stayed within the range that you're expected. And then when you get it, you say, okay, offload it. Or we won't accept this because, you know, your data has obviously gone out of the, the range of comfort. So um, it's not just location data we're really interested in. It's just all heuristics that you could do along the supply chain and along um, any Internet of Things type of use. Other sensors like light and sound and smell and just crazy things. Allie, Diva, addition to that. I, I'm on two minds of this, right? Like, I, I get the real amazing thing about having data privacy, more control over your own data, but as a local government official. I want that data so I can do better better data-driven projects. 
Um, there's some, you know, arguments right now about whether or not I should be collecting scooter routes. Absolutely. I should know where I should build better on-street bike lanes if people are using them. Um, and so if you're, you know, with your permission yeah, or yeah. with the user's permission, well, everyone, yeah. When you use the, the scooter, it tells you that, um, it's being used by MDS standards, which include route data, but it's aggregated anonymized. How good that is, you know, up for debate. Um, I do think it will be better probably with what you're building than with the current MDS standards for what scooter companies are doing, but maybe not if they're coming to you now. Um, however, when you're talking about, you know, connecting with Bluetooth sniffers, I've got a project up where we're trying to figure out how people who are on bikes can connect through an app to Bluetooth sniffers so they can get an extra three seconds on lights so they don't have to be stuck at a red light. They can get a little advance or they can make it through the light. Um, same thing that bus rapid transit uses. And that kind of data is invaluable to cities and also can make people's lives better. So, um, you know, I heard about Nodal and I was like, ooh, can I get that data? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is super cool. All right, so a couple more questions, and then we're going to wrap it up because we can only scratch the surface. Um, but uh, all right, so about the businesses, you know, you were talking about National Geographic. That was a new one. I had seen other big names. You know, obviously we talked about uh, Quicken Loans and J.P. Morgan Chase, and I saw IBM Research. They're the ones uh, partnering up with this um, uh, water monitoring organ water monitoring organization, San Joaquin Valley. Um, they're also working with Albertsons and Walmart, I guess, to do blockchain with uh, tracking inventory. Visa. Uh, credit card company. And uh, so anyway, this Oracle executive uh, that I guess is also Oracle's working on blockchain predicted at a conference, I guess, last month that 50% of companies will be using blockchain in the next three years, I guess, small, medium, large-sized businesses. So I was just wondering, do you think that's going to happen? 50% of companies in the U.S. using blockchain for whatever purpose in the next three years. Is that ambitious or is that viable? Kevin. I think it's totally viable, but it, you know, that number scares me kind of, it's like, whoa, we're still so far to go. Um, so it seems really unrealistic right now because, uh, we don't have the, you know, the history yet. And we're just trying to feel this, this out. And a lot of people are just starting on their networks, but I will say this, uh, the development community has blossomed, uh, way, way faster than anybody expected. And uh, a lot of that brought in by the last few crypto booms and the speculation that's brought in a ton of developers. Uh, but the developers uh, now, I'd say, doubles every two months, maybe. So we're just going on this exponential, exponential growth of product development. And, um, you know, we'll see in three years. That'll be an interesting statistic to look back on. <laughs> but I don't see why not. Allie. People do love to have like bold announcements at conferences. Yeah. That's so on trend. I um, guess as a consumer, it's kind of scary to me. Like, how much will I need to know about uh, blockchain in the next three years of 50% of companies? So that's why I was like, is this realistic? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes um, from Olga Mack of Quantstamp is she's explaining smart contracts to regulators, and which it was a more fun conversation than you'd think. Um, and she had them rolling with laughter, and she's like, you know, I'm not going to make you all understand exactly how blockchain works, but you don't understand exactly how electricity works, do you? I mean, admit it. Like, I flip on the light switch, lights come on, we roll. I can't explain to you too much more in depth than that. Um, so I think for consumers, I think there's a big trick in, ter in terms of making products that consumers can understand. You're right. I think that's going to be a big hurdle for a lot of companies. All right. And the last question is, again, on the legislative side, uh, 
So our, the, the state's government operations agency, so CalGovOps for short, is putting together a blockchain work group in order to evaluate the risks, benefits, and legal implications of the use of blockchain by government agencies and California-based businesses. So they're looking for people to bring on to this uh, work group. So for you, Kevin and Allie, what's your advice to them? Who should they have join the group? What do they need to focus on? And in general, you know, what should the state, you know, as our as our legislative body consider when it comes forward, when it comes to legislating, managing, and rolling out the use of blockchain, just to, to, you know, a few things that they should keep in mind if you were face-to-face with them. Who would like to start? I mean, frankly, yes, I'm advocating for myself to be on it. (laughs) I'll admit it, I am. Um, But I'm advocating for myself to take a non-tech seat on there because there's only three tech seats on this committee. Um, which is something that I did suggest be expanded in the bill. Colorado's Blockchain Council, for example, had eight seats. They all went to white men who worked on exchanges. So I think we could do a little bit better job in having a variety of companies and perspectives represented on this council. Um, You know, I think we should have something that's supply chain, IoT oriented, something that does work with virtual currency, um, and maybe something that has like a real instant government applicability. Um, You know, kind of those three types of businesses in the room. What's important for that application, and if you you can look at it online, is that it also has for like non-tech seats, there's eight non-tech industries where you can get in from. So that's where I'm trying to get on that because I don't want to take away a technical expert to be in the room and explaining that. But I do think having kind of an advocacy policy position is important there. Um, And I'm really interested to see who's going to fill the rest of those. Advice from you, Kevin. Yeah, I think you can get, um, I mean, as technical as you want, but I think you need a good project manager and somebody that can sort of figure out what the use is that the board is coming to. Like, what is, what, what, who are our users? Like, what are we really trying to do here? And then focus on those stories and those problems that you want to specifically solve. And then I've noticed something in the community of uh, just development developers in the blockchain community that everyone is just really pumped and really excited to be in it together. And all of the conferences that you go to for blockchain are really just like, you know, fun and engaging and people are are open to talk about all sorts of new ideas and people are ready to jump onto new projects at any time. I will say that there's a lack of just because it's so new, there's just a lack of understanding of cryptography. And I think that's probably the most essential asset that any person with strong technical background could sort of approach right now is really study cryptography because that's what it's all about. And uh, if if you can find some people that know cryptography through and through, then that's that's what I would want on my board. But like, there's a lot of people at my company that are chomping at the bit for just more more voice. And I know a handful of people in the area too that have sort of like been my mentors and people that have really built me up over the last few years. Well, it's going to be interesting, first off, who they put on the work group and definitely interesting to see how the the state government rolls it out and then, of course, how it's applied. So um, I guess I have a feeling we'll be visiting this topic again down the road. But for now, thank you very much, Kevin Alley, for explaining it uh, in a way that we can understand. And thank you again, uh, audience, for the great questions. And uh, we'll just wrap it up here. Have a good night. And uh, uh, thanks again. And thank you, Vanessa. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's pop-up panel conversation was held on April 17, 2019, in the basement of Roost Dollar Beer in downtown Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, 
Ali Medina of the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition, and Kevin Weiler of XYO Network. A special thanks to Roost Dollar owner J.E. Pano and manager Sierra Calso for hosting this event. Also to Caleb Clark at Kickstart Audio for producing the podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.